welcome to Independent India. The year 2020 was marked by a deadly pandemic, precarious geopolitical relations, a contracting economy and a rapidly evolving technological landscape. This season, we at Carnegie India are examining many of the challenges and opportunities that India will confront in the coming decade. I'm your host Suresh Rai and this week we are diving deep into India's fiscal trends in the wake of the pandemic. The pandemic threw a spanner in the works for India's fiscal system. It increased the demands on government expenditure while leading to a fall in receipts. As a result, we saw high deficits in 2020 and relatively high deficits are projected and budgeted for 2021 as well. For the first time in decades, debt sustainability could become a concern for India. Fiscal issues may affect India's ability to recover from the pandemic-induced economic shock and perhaps even land India into another crisis down the line. In this episode of Interpreting India, we analyze India's fiscal trends. What could be the medium-term fiscal consequences of this crisis? What fiscal measures can be used to enable a speedy recovery? How might the recent budget and the recommendations of the 15th Finance Commission shape the fiscal trends? To discuss these and other questions, I'm joined by Dr. Pinaki Chakraborty today. Dr. Chakraborty is the director of the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy in India. Dr. Chakraborty has extensively advised the government on economic policy including as an economic advisor to the 14th Finance Commission and as a member on the advisory council to the 15th Finance Commission among other roles alongside his work with the government dr chakraborty has also held several academic appointments including as a research associate at the levy economics institute in new york along with visiting appointments at the university of ottawa and the university of calcutta in 2019 his book titled gst in india a simple tax in a complex federal system was published by orient blackstone dr chakraborty welcome to interpreting india i'm delighted to have you with us today thank you thank you for inviting me for this important discussion so uh, i want to just begin with talking about where we are on fiscal policy right now in this crisis as you know this year has been a crisis year and although we are now probably out of recession we still have a long road to recovery to achieve the kind of economic output we had before the pandemic and uh, i would like to ask you how do you see the fiscal measures that were taken during the last one year in response to the crisis and those measures which have been announced in the union budget for the next one year are these the suitable me- fiscal measures that, sh- that uh, are required at this stage and uh, what could be done to improve them thank you uh, swesh there are a couple of uh, observations i'll make as far as fiscal intervention for the year 2021 is concerned and then i'll make some very specific observations about the budget 2122 2021 budget was presented before the pandemic so it did not have the numbers uh, that could be you know now compared with the re number so that's the first correction we have to make when we do analysis of budget and now there is as you know there has been a drop of revenues to the center net to the center to the extent of 465000 crore that's a that's a significant drop that reflects the level of contraction in the economy contraction in revenue base and and consequent fall in revenue mobilization that is one of the major fiscal um, 
crunch that you see uh, and and reduction in the availability of fiscal space to carry out you know significant increase in expenditure having said that i would like to emphasize that government expenditure as a percentage of gdp hasn't declined in fact it has increased so we are talking about a year where you had a decline in revenue by almost 5 lakh crore increase in expenditure and corresponding increase in deficit and debt to the extent of 9.5% of gdp and debt ratios center and states combined as per the finance commission's estimate at around 90% of gdp so the fiscal expansion on the expenditure side that you see has been done in an ex, ex, in an extremely uh, fiscally challenging situation arising out of shortfall in debt should government have done more i think it is also a, it is always a question of optimality given that there is a decline in revenue you can borrow only up to an extent and we are talking about 9.5% of gdp as the fiscal deficit if we add states borrowing it will make it something like close to 14 or 15% of gdp so how much more the government can borrow i think in the long run if we are talking about recovery growth bouncing back reshaped recovery etc i think we also have to make resources available in the medium term for the private sector so yes and debt sustainability then becomes a very critical issue so so i think we have a high deficit we have been able to maintain expenditure enhance in certain cases and and yet talking about a glide path of reduction of fiscal deficit from 9.5 in 2020-21 to 6.8 in 21-22 and then bringing it down to 4.5 by 25-26 i think that signaling is very important for macroeconomic stability and 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 future uh, future growth so if just to follow up on this that the fiscal strategy that has been announced in for 2021-22 and the uh, relatively large uh, budgeting for capital expenditure and the strategy to monetize assets and privatize public sector enterprises these things we have been hearing for last few years uh, there's been an intent announced to do more capital expenditure uh, to change the composition of assets that the government owns to actually monetize assets and then put more into new capital expenditure do you think it's feasible to implement this strategy what will it take to actually implement it see i think we have to look at it uh, from the perspective of you know uh, fiscal shock that covid has uh, you know introduced to the system now when we have a fiscal shock and contraction in significant contraction in revenue government will have to look at innovative sources of financing and one aspect is asset monetization how much they will be able to monetize would also depend on you know it's it depends on the market condition how the whether somebody is going to buy those assets same is the case with disinvestment so a lot would depend on upon the path of economic recovery that we are talking about in the next uh, financial year that is one second issue that i would also like to emphasize here that the growth assumptions about revenue is moderate in this year's budget for 
probably will have higher uh, collection. If the, if the growth is moderate, then if we have more collection, I think I think the aggregate balance improves. That is one. So, so, so if there are shortfalls in assets, if there are shortfalls in this investment, uh, then then probably some part of it could be covered as the, uh, through higher revenue mobilization if that happens because of the rebounds in growth. Second issue on the capital expenditure, I think it is, that is my view, that it is very unfair to talk about, you know, center not doing enough for the capitalist uh, on, on capital expenditure. Yes, capital expenditure as a percentage of GDP remained around 1, 1.5% uh, no, for a consistent period of time. Now, you have to also look at a policy change that happened in 2005-06. Earlier, center used to borrow and on lend to the states. So it used to show a large increase in capital expenditure. Now, from 2005-06, due to the recommendation of the 12th Finance Commission, states started directly borrowing from the market. So this capital expenditure accounting which used to reflect centers borrowing and on lending to the states as capital expenditure of the state does not happen anymore. And you see that the capital expenditures of the center at around 1, 1.5% of GDP. So actual capital expenditure, if you have to really look at, I think you should look at both center and states expenditure. That matters for growth, for public investment. And two thirds of the capital expenditure of India today is public capital expenditure is at the state level. So, so it is very important to ensure that we are able to spend that aggregate level of capital expenditure. If that reduces, that would have serious implications for growth. And capital expenditure at the state level probably has, you know, larger, you know, fiscal multiplier than you know, capital expenditure of the center because 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 most redistributing capital spendings are also at the state level. So these are empirical question, research questions, and but has important implications for policy. So we must look at a, um, uh, take an aggregate take an aggregate view of capital expenditure. Second issue is that if center has to reduce its capital expenditure. In, sorry, increase its capital expenditure just to reduce its revenue deficit, right? Now, what is the revenue deficit that we are talking about? In 2021, we are talking about 7.5, and 21-22, we are talking about 5.5% of revenue deficit. Now, if we take in, uh, major items in the revenue account uh, expenditure, I'll highlight two. One is interest payment, which is 3.63% of GDP. And CSS and central sector scheme roughly around 2% of GDP. That makes the revenue deficit. Uh, so, 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 uh, so you cannot reduce, you know, interest payment because it's a charged expenditure and your debt has increased because of the COVID pandemic. So we also have to relook at the way center spends on centrally sponsored scheme and central sector scheme. So unless we reform those schemes, reduce center intervention through CSS, I think center would have large revenue deficit. 
So essentially, center is borrowing and giving grants to the states to carry out certain expenditures which are in the functional domain of states. So this is a larger, uh, you know, policy question where we really have to understand the redistributive part of spending, which constitutionally is at the state level, then as National Priority Center goes and starts spending on some of this subject, then its capital expenditure, uh, revenue expenditure goes up. Then at the same time, we tell the center is not spending enough on the capital expenditure. So that balance, I think that discussion needs a dispassionate, uh, you know, understanding of why this is happening like that. Should center spend on capital? If so, at up, how much? And what are those critical areas where centers should spend on capital side? So just capital expenditure more by the center is going to result in significant increase in growth is something we need to you know discuss and debate rather than just talking about you know centers should spend more on capital expenditure. I think aggregate capital expenditure should not fall, but how much centers should because if the center does not give this money, state's capital expenditure will fall. Because if they have to finance these schemes, but that aggregate view is very, very important. Yeah, there'll be substitution. Yeah, so interest payments, salary, pensions, these are already committed. And the central sector and centrally sponsored schemes, although in the CSS schemes, there have been a restructuring. So center is giving less of the share. So the 60, 40, now 60%, earlier to 80%, but still there's a lot of money that is going to the states as grants under these schemes. And it will have to be some kind of a grand bargain, perhaps. Uh, I mean, you touched upon this issue briefly earlier, of this question of debt to GDP, general government debt to GDP going to 90%, crossing 90%. For many years, we haven't really discussed and thought much about debt sustainability because um, there was a period in which debts were rising, but then inflation was so high that it inflated away the debt stock. Uh, now, is this question again going to become pertinent, uh, of question of debt sustainability and what would it take to avoid a crisis on that front? Because this is the biggest uh, single jump in debt uh, to GDP ratio in a very long time. Yeah, I would say that we have a crisis, but I would certainly say that we need to be careful about our debt to GDP ratio. We were before the pandemic, if you look at the FRBM review committee report, it targeted debt to GDP ratio to be 60% of GDP by 22-23. Today we are talking about a debt to GDP ratio at around 90% of GDP. So one shock contributed to more than 20 percentage point increase in debt to GDP ratio because actual debt to GDP ratio, the target was 60, it was around 67%. So we are talking about almost 20 percentage point increase in debt to GDP ratio. So there is certainly a concern and there is a need to reduce this in the medium term. Now, Finance Commission has recommended that it should be reduced to 85% of GDP by 25-26. I think that's a very relaxed target. I think that should happen. And Finance Commission has done it, keeping in mind my senses, that fiscal uncertainties are also very high given that COVID is still there, economy is still you know, recovering. What will happen to the growth, we really do not know going forward. 
and and on a contracted revenue on a contracted basis even if the gdp rebounds how do you sustain year on year recovery from for the year 22 23 24 and 25 so that's fine but in actual uh operation of the you know you know uh, fiscal uh variables if uh, and uh, and the macroeconomy if we are able to grow at you know more than 6% par annum up to 25 26 with a moderate inflation of 5 to 6% so we are talking about 11 12% of nominal gdp growth rate and there if we do that probably we need to have a relook at these on these targets uh, maybe Maybe in 23, 24, or in the middle of the finance commission, and what we will and see whether we can further reduce it to a level which is lower than 85. So that is something which will have to be always done. It has to be a dynamic path of you know monitoring. Otherwise, you know we may have a situation where uh, we don't have an option there. I think I think we really cannot. Afford to have a higher debt to GDP ratio than 90 percent, because it is only the government debt, and then there are other debts that includes public sector. So, 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 so we are talking about already more than 90 percent debt to GDP ratio. So there is a need to be careful about debt to GDP ratio because that charges that that uh, that that has implications for your primary government expenditure. So if we have to enhance the fiscal space for primary development spending. We need to reduce debt to GDP ratio, bring down the fiscal deficit to a level which is lower than what it is now, and also look at the general government debt. It's not only the central debt. We also have to ensure that we are able to do that at the state level because their debt is also increasing and is very high. Now I want to segue into a different theme, but uh, we did touch upon briefly earlier also this uh, intergovernmental tra- uh, fiscal relations, especially transfers from union to state. you were associated with the 14th finance commission as an economic advisor and now that we have actuals for 2019-20 which was the last year in which the 14th finance commission's recommendations had to be implemented uh, what how do you see this in retrospect what the 14th finance commission was trying to achieve in terms of changes in union to state transfers and what did happen in the course of these five years in, in terms of the scale of transfers and the composition of transfers no uh, uh... the 14th finance commission's recommendation will have to be seen uh from the point of view of majra plan and non plan revenue expenditure so earlier finance commissions used to give money to cover the non plan revenue deficit now that plan non plan distinction is gone the finance commission gave 42% to cover both the plan and non plan gap so 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 earlier transfers were less when 42% is more i think is not a very correct representation of fact so it includes financing of planned revenue expenditure as well so effective interest is much less than from 32 to 42% that's the first point this certainly has given more autonomy to the states because the planned priorities uh, are now completely decided by the states because there is no planning as such or plan allocation as such from the center to the states if we look at 15th finance commission award i think 
in an extremely challenging fiscal situation, in an extremely challenging, uh, you know, uh, situation to predict macroeconomic uncertainty, Commission has done an excellent job by ensuring three things. One is fiscal stability, so it has not taken away more resources from the center, nor has it given more resources to the state. So vertically, it remains at 41%. It has given large revenue deficit grant for the year 21-22. This is not discussed, but very important to recognize. As you know, we are talking about big macroeconomic uncertainty in the year 21-22. And there are possibilities that revenues will, growth will remain subdued in certain revenue heads. That would mean 41% as estimated by the Finance Commission, maybe less when it comes to the actual revenue collection. Because after all, it's a percentage. So if the overall KT is less than the 41%, that number, absolute number falls. So in order to ensure that there is some kind of certainty of resource flow to the states, they have given revenue deficit grant. And if you compare the 2021 revenue deficit grant that was given with the Finance Commission, that was something like 74,000 crore in the year 2021. The increase now is 1,14,000 crore. There is a 60% plus increase in the revenue deficit grant. And this will go in absolute volume to the states. And 17 states have got this grant. So this ensures some kind of certainty of resource flow to a group of states who uh, the commission thought need additional support in the form of revenue deficit after the tax devolution is given. So that is one very important uh, observation I had when I looked at the Finance Commission report. Second issue is your Finance Commission has given a lot of sector-specific, purpose-specific grants, unlike the 14th Finance Commission. While doing so, the Commission did not reduce the vertical share. So in effect, if you compare 14th and 15th Finance Commission, the actual money flow decided by the 15th was much more than the 14th in terms of overall resource flow. Third important point I wanted to emphasize. See, there is a lot of discussion about sales and surcharges not shared with the states. If we don't make that distinction for a moment, yes, that is correct, that sales and surcharges have increased. But overall flow of resources to the states as a percentage of gross revenue of the central government still remains at around 50% of the, it is still around 50%. So half of the central revenues are still going to the states in the form of tax devolution, finance commission grants, grants for centrally sponsored scheme and central sector scheme. So, so we really cannot, you know, have a situation where continuously this share goes up because there is also a overall there is a resource envelope and there is a there's an upper bound to that resource envelope and center has a union list where it has to perform its function so i think that constrained optimization has reached its you know kind of uh, upper bound so we would see this uh, around that level of 50 51 percent i don't see it is going up next 
Finance Commission to 60 and then to 70. That's not possible. That's not economics. So, so it cannot become 100% anyway. So I think, I think the money that flows to the state is very significant, almost half of what centers collect. And 60% of the state expend, combined government expenditure is at the state level. And states do have certain fiscal autonomy. So, so uh, because they collect more than one third of the total revenues collected by the center and state. So aggregate, if we look at, we are a fairly decentralized country. And that fiscal stability has been, uh, has continued uh, in, uh, as, uh, continued for, uh, in the year 2021 by the Finance Commission and going forward also, they want to ensure that that continues. I think that is one of the major, major, major issue, uh, major, 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 major uh, point when we when we when we actually talk about 15th Finance Commission award, particularly in a year when we had we still have a lot of macroeconomic uncertainties. Second point I wanted to highlight about the Finance Commission transfer is also the horizontal devolution. Horizontal devolution also there was a lot of discussions about you know uh, what will happen to the states if 2011 population is used for the devolution of resources. But post the Finance Commission award, there hasn't been any, you know, major uh, discontent among the states. So, so, so that so that also shows that Finance Commission has been able to address the issue of, you know, horizontal stability in a in a in a, in a way that is not 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 that is not you know altering the resource flow to the states and making a particular state suffer more than. Uh, making a particular suffer disproportionately. So that is that is the second issue that I thought is important. And fourth and third issue, and I'll stop on the Finance Commission, is the issue of local government grants. Four lakh crore plus is given to the local bodies. This is a huge sum of money for the next five years. And they also have given some grants for the health sector to be done at the local level. Given uh, the COVID and during the COVID time, the way some of the local governments have and have performed in containing COVID, the case of big municipalities doing excellent job in containing the spread of infection. I think we understand now the role of local governments, even though they have limited fiscal autonomy. When it comes to crisis, they do perform, they do show results. So there, this flow of resources. Uh, to the extent of 5 lakh crore, 4 lakh 60,000 crore, I think, uh, is very significant. What the challenge will be to ensure that this money flows to them and they are able to provide and strengthen the public service delivery system at the local level. Thank, thank you for those insights. Uh, I agree that uh, the way the Finance Commission has uh, uh, tried to ensure some degree of revenue stability for 2021-22 is quite commendable. So they have provided about 1.1 lakh crore rupees in revenue deficit grant. But by the last year of the Finance Commission, it comes down to about 13,000 crores only. So it depends on if whether the states are able to achieve some revenue growth during this period. And uh, the assumption of the Finance Commission is actually turned out to be true. So the, the scaling down is quite significant. Uh, the other point about uh, the Finance Commission bringing back specific uh, sector-specific and state-specific grants to uh, try to make up for part of the losses that uh, states might be uh, I mean, facing because of the shrinking divisible pool is also I think, quite valid because it's quite a substantial number uh, which the, the, has been allocated to these grants. But one point on this is that a lot of these are performance-based grants. So 
the way they have been structured is that there will be some performance parameters to be monitored by some central central agency, mostly Niti Aayog, but also in a couple of ways. For example, there is one which will be monitored by the Ministry of Environment and Forestry. So, what do you think about the principle of uh, bringing this in? And in the on the other hand, in local body grants, the performance based uh, component has been brought down. So, fourteen finance commission had a significant portion of grants going on base of performance, eighty twenty for urban. If I'm not Taken a 90-10 was the ratio for rural for performance-based grants. So 10% and 20% respectively for performance-based. But that seems to have reduced with 15 Finance Commission. Uh, so the bringing more performance-based grants for states and reducing the share of performance-based grants for local bodies. So what is the strategy here? Has to uh, a, a focus on performance. There are two issues. One is incentive and other is reward. So the grants that are given, these are all kind of incentive-based, uh, forward-looking uh, incentive-based uh, grants. So if you do X, you get certain amount of money. If you don't do X, then you don't get that amount of money. So, so in that case, certainly there is a risk that if you are not performing, you will not get that resource. So that is uh, that is one aspect that is always there in any performance-linked uh, uh, grant. Now, if you look at CSS again, it based on it is based on utilization. So there also it is performance. Now, government of India's ATR on the performance-based incentive grant is that they will try to do it through CSS and various other. Maybe there will be new central sector scheme. So that way, the performance incentive grant, as such, the design uh, recommended by the uh, the design as recommended by the finance commission has not been uh, will, be, will be will be will be integrated with them uh, with the with the CSS and probably new central sector scheme. So so you have to wait and see how uh, things move. At the moment, it is not very clear. On the local body, yes, I think local body is a, is a very complex uh, institutional economics issue. I think I, th I, I think it is uh, today is twenty twenty one, and we are talking about uh, almost thirty years after the seventy third and seventy fourth constitutional amendment. And today, and all the states, if they had taken local government seriously, would have had. Their six state finance commissions. And unfortunately, only in six states we have the six state finance commission. In all other states, we do not have the six state finance commission. That means there is a lag there. State finance commissions need to be taken more seriously. Their recommendations are uh, many times their recommendations are not accepted. Uh, also, there are delays in submission of report. In IPAP, we did a study and we found the average delay was more than you know, 17, 18 months in the constitution of the SFC itself. So, so these are the so finance commission has actually has given money to ensure that these are streamlined. And this is not something which is not doable. It's not very difficult to do. But basically, uh, you know, trying to, you know, not the states to do what is required as per the uh, 
constitutional amendment done in 74 done when the 74th or 74th constitutional amendment was done so so that is something which we have to uh, we have to understand the context uh, finally i think the health grant that is given by the local government uh, to the local government i think intention is very clear the intention is that we need to have a vibrant public service delivery system at the local level but i and, and that is why it should be uh, done at the local level and the covid context that becomes very very important but of course you are absolutely right if the performance are you know grant is linked to performance if you don't perform the resources don't flow it also yeah. so so that part always remains but overall i think the big picture is that almost 90% of what finance commission has recommended is untied still if you take the revenue deficit grant and if you take the tax devolution if you take the disaster relief fund only the local body grants and the health grants that we are talking about it's a very small portion of the total level so and they are there at the margin they are trying to trying to nudge states to do certain things and how it happens will depend how central government takes this recommendation forwards in designing css and the central sector spend so it's still too early to make an observation on that we have to wait and watch well, you are absolutely right that this finance commission has taken the local body issue much more seriously so for example one of the i mean strictest conditions they have placed is that if the state does not constitute a state finance commission will not get the grants in the last two years and that's a very very <laughs> strict condition because i mean basically it's the uh, uh, strongest stick you can think about any every state would constitute because it's a very large loss if they don't constitute and they have put some entry level conditions on accounts availability and other things which will hopefully be followed because the carrot is also pretty large if, if they do it so the so that these are i think uh, interesting things to observe and uh, the overall quantum as you were saying of local body grants has increased quite significantly and most of it is now uh, either uh, untied or earmarked but not based on performance so they can draw they can draw on it because in the previous finance commission a lot of uh, grants used to lapse because they couldn't meet the conditions now at least they can draw on it and let's see what incentives this creates performance grants were uh, recommended by earlier finance commissions also except the 14 i think 13 had nine point conditionalities for local body grant so 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 it's not for the first time but yes this is very specific where it says that it is is a basic minimum that a state has to do to constitute a finance commission i think i think that is not an uh, unreasonable thing to ask what is you know difficult Uh, to you know accept is the fact that even for that we have to give a grant you know you know that is something that we should be debating not why finance commission has given this grant no no i didn't meet uh, obviously the 14th finance commission had also recommended performance grid based grant for local bodies but not for state governments 15th finance commission has also included performance grant for state governments so these uh, four areas in which performance based grants have been known because the state has constitutes yes there is a no others also like in social sector they have uh, give, given performance based grants governance and administration is another area in which performance based grants have been given so let's see i mean how states take to the performance being monitored by nitiyog and the grants being released on the basis of that 
but yeah, overall, this is a small part of the transfer. Bulk of it is revenue deficit grants and devolution. That's right. Just now, I mean, I would like to be remiss in my duty as uh, an interviewer in the podcast if I don't talk to about GST. You wrote the book on GST and uh, you've worked on it for many years. So now we are coming close to about four years of GST implementation. So how do you see it? What has been the journey so far? And what are the two or three key, I mean, challenges that need to be overcome for GST to I mean, realize its potential? Well, I think uh, GST as a tax, uh, as a concept, is a, is a, is a beautiful concept. Uh, GST design today is certainly a better design than the GST of July 2017. So that way, there has been significant movement that has happened uh, as far as the GST discussion and debate and the policy is concerned. Going forward, I think we should focus more on technology, simplification, further simplification, if possible, further rationalization of rate, and 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 monitoring. And monitoring does not mean you know you monitor physically, but through technology, through invoicing. I think one of the major reasons why GST revenues are going up, apart from economic recovery, is also e-invoicing has increased in the last two three months, and that resulted in significant increase in increase in revenue. So so I think that technology platform, if it works better than what uh, has been the case and that we have seen in the last four or five months, uh, we will see a growth in GST revenue. My problem is not with, not problem, my understanding about the overall revenue collection is not much on the GST side. I think GST will stabilize. I think what will happen to the non-GST revenue is an important issue and we are not discussing about it. Uh, if you look at the monthly data on revenue collection from, you know, petroleum products, it's subdued despite increasing tax rates because of the pandemic, mobility has gone down. So naturally, the consumption is low. Second is the other major state revenue is state excise and alcohol. I think that is also subdued because though they are price elastic, both petroleum and alcohol is subdued because there is reduction in consumption because of the health-associated risk. Same is the case with real estate, that is motor vehicle tax and stamp duty and registration. So all these taxes at the state level constitute almost one-third of the state revenues. Two-thirds is GST. So if you see less than normal growth in these revenue rates, there is a likelihood that you'll have revenue deficits at the state level. And that increase in revenue deficit, you need to manage by borrowing. And that would have an implication for capital expenditure. When states are the primary drivers of capital expenditure, I think that is a serious macroeconomic challenge that, that we, have to, we have to think of and take appropriate measures. Thank you, sir. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a, a very broad question. If you had to recommend one key institutional reform to India's fiscal system, what would that be? Institutional reform means? Yes, like 
some people say fisc council should be set up you know those kind of things what uh, what would be the one reform that you think could really work in indian improve india fiscal system no i, I think our frbn act has really worked well if you look at the post frbn uh, from 2003 for on uh, from 2003 for i think the both fiscal deficit and revenue deficit at the general government level has been managed well centers of course it remained above the frbn target but but you did not see a see a situation three is fine but center also remained around 3.54 so there is no problem so i think we should strengthen our frbn system i think independent fiscal council is an idea which is basically to make frbn more effective uh, more effective yes it is good but uh, you know uh, you know what is most important is to is to is to have a credible you know understanding of of government's budgetary number right now it is not that fiscal responsibility act is not reviewed central government fiscal responsibility act is reviewed by the cag that system is already there it's not that it is reviewed not reviewed independent evaluators evaluate states fiscal responsibility and budget management they have public expenditure review committee in some states independent fiscal uh, evaluation done by nipp for some states so it's already there but these evaluations are exposed evaluation so you do evaluation of data uh, when the accounts numbers are available you don't do it for the budget estimates and revised estimates so so idea of independent fiscal council is to look at the budget estimates number and say that whether it is credible or not so that's the that's the focus so we are trying to move from exposed instead of exposed to an exact analysis of budget so that's the that's that's the issue i think i think that would be relevant whether we have a fiscal council or not that would be relevant always to have credible budget estimates so whether you have an independent fiscal council that drives a credible budget estimate or the credible budget estimates are necessary for predictable macroeconomic policy is the question that we should ask and i am not too sure just having a fiscal council will automatically improve my budget estimate or not having it will uh, reduce the quality of budget estimate i think and that's that, that that's the question that we should be we should be debating yeah it could be achieved through internal improvements at the, at the treasury level in the ministry of finance also better accountability for things like off budget borrowing having a medium term approach where things are i mean decisions on a year are anchored in a medium term perspective you don't need an independent council necessarily for these things just a uh, final question if you were to recommend one book on india's public finances what would that be that everybody should there is a book by amresh bakshi on india public finance i think uh, that book is collection of essays i think that's a fascinating book that you should read and i just one book is not fair i think i think there are books on indian federalism written by dr govind rao called uh, i think i think that's very important why we read this book uh, why we read the ngr read this book on indian federalism i think it's a fascinating read i think these are the books that 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 anyone interested in indian public finance uh, should read uh to get you know you know an understanding of how it works and the empirical issues 
critically important. Thank you, Professor Chakravarti. This was a really insightful and interesting conversation. Uh, thank you again for taking time from your busy schedule to join us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Next week, my colleague Deep Pal will host Ambassador Yogendra Kumar to discuss his book, Geopolitics in the Era of Globalization, Mapping an Alternative Global Future. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about our research and team, you can visit us at karnikiindia.org. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you next time.